Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Performance Group Podcast, or should we call it now the Performance University 10 Rules of Business Podcast. My name is Sean Kirby, as always, and joined with me is the one, the only, Mr. Mike Kirby, the man who, you know, born me to be the, the man I am today. Um, so I quickly wanted to, for those of you who don't know my dad or haven't listened to our past episodes, is just kind of run through a quick list of all the things he has been and continues to be for us. Um, so dad, Mike, he was, uh, grew up a farm kid here in Delaware County. Um, he was a wrestling coach. He was a welder. He was an insurance agent. He grew those businesses always to the point to where he ended up being a regional director all the way up to working hard to get to chief marketing officer. And then was the president CEO of two $10 billion companies, retired at the age of 40, moved all the way back home to spend more time where he thought it needed to be, which is, you know, with the ones he loved and cared most about and seeing his kids grow up. Started over 20 businesses to this point, and at least 18 of those are still up and operational. As of this morning. And as of this morning, 18 are still operational. And one of the things and um, kind of the, the namesake of this podcast is something that my um, wonderful father has, you know, kind of passed on to us within our businesses and kind of created on himself is the, um, you know, the proclaimed 10 rules of business. Um, these, these rules of business are not, you know, for all, but they, they tend to fit into all businesses and, you know, no matter how big or how small. So um, today we're going to talk about kind of that first rule of business. Um, we're going to go through the, the first rule of business is what? Stay in Stay business. Stay in business. Absolutely. So kind of tell me, one, why did you create the 10 Rules of Business? How did it come to be? Was it on accident? Was it on purpose? So I think the easiest way I could explain it is um, there's not a lot of original thought in this. There may be some experience that I've been able to scratch on a piece of paper, but most of the 10 Rules of Business I've learned from other people, either through individuals that have influenced me over the years, books I've read, um, and quite honestly, the experience we had in building and growing businesses. So the person I probably need to give the most credit to on this first one and probably the second one is a guy named Steve Lounsbury out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Steve was one of the smartest guys I ever met. He was my boss. Um, one of those wicked smart kind of guys that uh, read a lot of books, very well read, uh, got his MBA from Iowa. And um, when he introduced us, and I say us, our staff, to, um, I'd say, basic business philosophy, it really clicked with me. It was one of those sort of light bulb moments where you kind of connected the dots. And the first rule, um, stay in business, is a little confusing because people go, well, you got to make money. Well, that's rule number two. And if you logically think through it, it's impossible to make money if you're not in business. So the first rule is stay in business. And we're going to kind of walk through what it takes to stay in business. And it's not easy. Um, it takes a lot of capital, sleepless nights, worry, um, adjustments, adapts, adaptments, everything that it takes to stay in business. And if you're a young entrepreneur, um, it, as I was in 1988, an old guy uh, at a conference, after the conference is over, he was a speaker. I walked up to him and I said, hey, I'm new to the business. What does it take to be successful? And interestingly enough, I was expecting this long drawn out, had a pad of paper ready to write notes. 
And he says it takes one thing, last. And it just struck me, and I thought, well, last, okay. But he was absolutely right. Now, there's a lot to lasting, but it was really boiled down to that one simple word. If you last, you're going to be successful. And so this particular podcast is about some things I've experienced, and now that you're six years into the business, that you've experienced, what does it take to last? And the very first thing that I would tell anyone who's in business is nothing happens until somebody sells something. And whether that's a product, whether it's a service, whatever your business is, until you sell something, it really doesn't matter. So especially in these economic times that we're all concerned about, worried about, and quite frankly going to face, you got to focus on sales. And then in the next episodes, we'll talk about pricing, margins, all of those sorts of things. But today it's really, what does it take to last? And I, I last night wrote down some notes and the first one was focus on sales. Nothing happens until somebody sells something. And for all of us who have dreamed about a business, um, it takes a vision, it takes every ounce of energy that you have. Unlike individuals who are afforded the opportunity, like I was at one point, uh, where you go to work at a certain time, you come home at a certain time, uh, you know you have so many vacation days, your health insurance is covered, your paycheck is covered. Um, That's not the case when you're an entrepreneur. You are, as they say, the chief cook and bottle washer. If there's a paperclip on the floor, if the toilet paper needs changed, if the toilet needs cleaned, if the laundromat is dirty, you got to do it. Um, and so those are the expectations of the entrepreneur. And I've seen people fail because they forgot the one most important word. It's a four-letter word, and for many people it's a dirty word. It's called work. you got to go to work. And then once you've passed the survival stage, then you can get into the mode of, all right, I've got other people that can do things for me. But when you're first starting, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There is no rest. Um, I, I would say, based on the notes, if we're going to sell something, we have to understand what our market is. We have to know who our target market is. An old friend of mine, mentor, David E.G. Miller, told me, uh, tell me I can sell everybody and I'll fail. Tell me I can sell redheads with blue eyes and I'll succeed. And what he was really talking about was focus. And as long as you're focused on your market, then the rest of it will start to fold in. And new opportunities present themselves. Uh, Using Performance Financial Group, which was the first one we started, um, we knew that there was an appetite for tax. We knew there was an appetite for accounting and payroll. We knew there was an appetite for um, insurance products. But we were totally focused on gathering assets. And we blended in the other businesses in order to hone in on the market that made the most sense to us. One of the things that we're going to be facing, and I think those of us with some gray hair have faced in my lifetime eight times, is a recession. And what we have to remember in a recession that money doesn't necessarily go away. People just stop spending it. And there is a difference between the nice-to-haves and the have-to-haves. So the first thing I would ask 
all of the people listening to this who are entrepreneurs. Is the product or service that I'm selling a nice-to-have or a have-to-have? And if it's a nice-to-have, I'm really going to have to focus on uh, how do I get in front of people who have discretionary income and make sure that I'm at the top of the list in order for them to spend that money. Again, you have to stay in business. So the old story of, um, you know, the buggy whips. I may be the most efficient. I may be the, the best buggy whip builder on the planet, but nobody's on horses anymore. So it really doesn't make any difference how good I am at building buggy whips. If nobody's buying them, I'm out of business. So we've got to really step back and take a look at what is our core business? What is it that we're trying to do to serve the population? What am I trying to sell? The second thing is, um, in inflationary times, one of the things that will kill us is not understanding our numbers, which is rule number three, which we'll get into that on another episode. But if there was a time to do budgets, to really trim the fat, to look at our headcount, to understand what our outflows are, um, it's now. And it's January 3rd. This is a perfect time of the year to do it. Sit down, reflect on last year. Um, where's the bleeding? And I, I use subscriptions as a good example because we all download apps and certain things on our phones. And we kind of out of sight, out of mind. We forget about them. Well, this is the time of year to go back and revisit those and say, am I really using them? We have to remember in business, there's no such thing as an expense. There's only an investment with an expected return. And what I mean by that is personal expenses, that's the type of house and the type of car and the type of uh, lifestyle that I have, those ultimately could be considered expenses because they don't generate revenue. In business, you have to reflect on the things that are going to make you money. Now, as an example, everything about our operation is an investment. Literally from the color of the wall to the things on the wall to the, the carpet to um, the presentation as a client walks into our office, that's an investment because we want them to have a good experience from the moment they walk in. Is it professional? Are these the type of people first impression that I want to do business with? And the world's evolved. Used to, it was a coat and tie world. It was a dress up and all that. I don't think that's as important anymore. In fact, I think that went by the wayside in the 90s. Um, but still, being having an office that's clean, that's welcoming, that's an environment where I don't care if they're a, a CEO in a three-piece suit or a farmer in overalls. They all feel welcome coming into the office. And I think that's just a good example of We've made the investment to make this a very comfortable environment. And I suggest people go back to their uh, budgets of last year, look at your year in P&L, line by line, go through it and say, is this making our organization money? Is this reflecting our culture? Is this reflecting who we are? And if it's not, get rid of it. Start trimming the fat. I'd go that far as saying headcount. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merged? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, 
what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified. Um, when I ran the insurance companies on the budget, the very first question was, what are we doing about headcount? Because invariably you're going to hear people say, I'm stressed. I'm in, I'm overworked. I'm all this. We need more people. And that may very well be true, but the reality is headcount is the most expensive part of your business. Um, it involves not only their wages, but it involves taxes. It involves benefits. It involves all of that. So if your headcount is too big, it's time to trim. Nobody likes to do it, but the old saying is you're not really a manager until you had to fire somebody. So now's a good time to, um, to, to reflect on that and really get to the penciling out and saying, okay, we can't afford this. So we're going to, we're going to get rid of it. The other thing is be prepared for the worst. And you know, one of the things that I encourage people to do is you, in, in the accounting world, we call them accruals. And where you're setting aside money for the emergencies, where you're setting aside money for operating capital, because money's expensive now. A year ago, the 10-year treasury is 1.6. Today, the 10-year treasury is pushing four. And that means that when you borrow money to operate your business, it's more expensive now. And you have to take that into uh, account. And an old banker years ago when I was 16, 17 years old, um, he, he told me you can't borrow your way out of debt. And I think those are very fundamental ways for you to, as a young entrepreneur or as an old entrepreneur, to, to go, okay, I've got to work off my operating capital and I've got to have enough cash flow and I'm going to borrow as little money as I possibly need. Um, don't get me wrong, if... You can use other people's money to grow your business, do it. But remember the cost, and it's getting more and more expensive. I think the other thing is be ready for change. Change is something that we have to welcome. As hard as it is, the older you get, uh, change can be incredibly difficult. So you're either on the offense or the defense. And on the offense, you're constantly thinking about change. You're thinking, how do I do it better, bigger, faster? Um, because it comes at you. And if you're stuck in the mud and saying, no, that's the way we've always done it, well, those are the six dying words of a corporation. And so you have to embrace change. In fact, 
what I do is I have a notepad right by my bed because sometimes the 3 a.m. wake-up calls, I'm literally lying there with my eyes open thinking about something. I find the best way for me to go back to sleep is to get up, take that pad of paper, write down what I was thinking, and then the next morning reflect on it. And nine times out of ten, it's not as bad as I thought it was at 3 a.m. Um, but I've got to get it off my plate and on a pad of paper so I can so I can really percolate on it, think about it. The other thing is, I think one of the greatest lessons I ever learned was getting organized. And you may smirk a little bit at that, but um, because at times my desk is not does not look organized. But what I found is that if I take a pad of paper and each one of our business, the only way I can do this is I write every single business we have and then I start putting the things to-do list. And what it, what are the things to do for this particular business? And I don't worry about prioritizing them. I just write them down. And some things just come at you. So you got to write those down. Um, other things are embracing change. And so you start writing them down. And then once I've written 10 down and I stop at 10, sometimes I don't even get there. But then I go back and prioritize them. And I do not move to number two until I've either finished number one or taken number one as far as I possibly could. And sometimes that's delegating um, because, you know, when you're running this many businesses, you can't do it by yourself. And so you have to trust your people and you delegate to them as well as get their input on what you're thinking about change because many times not necessarily you're wrong, but they're more right than you are because they're in it every day. So when you write those things down and mark them off, anything that's left on that day that didn't get done moves to the next day, and you write the next ones down. And we always have to remember, and we use this word or this phrase in the business all the time, is business is messy. If you're expecting your small business to be perfect, you're going to be sorely disappointed 100% of the time because that's not how it works. Sometimes things come at you. They disrupt everything that you tried to get done that day, but they had to be done. Whether it's employee issues, mechanical issues, financial issues, whatever the issue is of that day. But understand that's just part of being an entrepreneur. And we try in here to keep the philosophy is worry about the things you can control and don't worry about the rest. Why would I worry about things that I absolutely have no, no control over whatsoever? The 10-year treasury moved from 1.6 to almost 4, probably going to 5 and a quarter. I can't control it, but I better be prepared for it. So you prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And this is leading back into your January 3rd. Today is a good time to do your goal planning for the year. And the, the way we describe it in here is first you have a dream. You write it down, it becomes a goal. You break your da- or goal down into uh, small parts and steps. And then that, that is met with energy and effort. And success is going to happen, going back to last. I think the other thing is an entrepreneur, you've got to kind of have an end or a, a vision of what the end looks like. In Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, it's begin with the end in mind. And the coolest part of that is most of the time you're going to end up 
maybe better than what you expected because you were so focused on it, opportunities just come at you. And for us, I think the biggest thing is we've diversified revenue streams, and which has created more opportunities than we could possibly imagine, more challenges than we possibly could have imagined. But as we were working toward the one goal of building performance financial, it led us into multiple areas that complement what we were trying to do and led us to new opportunities of things we never dreamed we would be doing. And we didn't shy away from those. We just found great people who would run those divisions. And now I think the opportunity that lies ahead of us is mentoring them, sharing the 10 rules of business, things that are transferable, inspectable, things that are measurable so I can basically coach on a daily basis to make sure those things are that are the most important are being done. And it, it's an exciting thing to do. Um, is it scary at times? Absolutely, it's scary. You work, you know, at 59 years old, you work since you were 12 years old to do certain things, have certain things, and there isn't a day go by that you go, man, it could be, be gone tomorrow. But the coolest part is if it were all gone tomorrow, within five years, we'd have it all back anyway. So, you know, the risk reward for an entrepreneur is, yes, there's a lot of freedom. Yes, there's a lot of, um, of responsibility. Uh, you have employees. I mean, I think we now have 14 or 15 team members. In the beginning, it was me. Um, you feel responsible for their income, their lifestyle. Uh, but at the same time, without building that dream in the beginning, none of that would have happened anyway. So I think to, to kind of sum it up, um, I was fortunate to have a go to a conference where a guy named Rob O'Neill was. And if you don't know who Rob O'Neill is, he was the SEAL Team 6 member that actually shot Osama bin Laden. And, of course, I've got my notepad out. And, you know, it's anticipating a lot of war stories. We didn't tell any. He told the story about the Osama bin Laden thing, but he told it in context of what it took to prepare for that moment. Not that moment, but what it took to get there. And I wrote down a couple things that he said, and the first one was about failure. And we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fail. If you notice, we, we had 10, 20 businesses, and now we have 18. Well, what happened to the other two? Well, they just didn't make sense to what we were doing. They were costing us money. Um, were they bad ideas? Not necessarily, but they weren't our focus. They didn't complement anything else we do. Uh, they honestly took a lot of headcount, and we decided that other people were better at that than we were, so we just decided to shut those down. But the biggest thing with failure is admit it, learn from it. And I think in here, we have successes and failures every day. As long as we accept the failures as a learning opportunity, we didn't lose. Uh, there's two types of education. There's a formal education that you get and you pay somebody else to teach you. And then there's the informal or education that I paid the tuition for. And they all cost tuition. It's just, did I learn from it? Am I going to make that same mistake twice? The second way, the second thing I learned from him was that you separate your decision making. 
in business, it can be very emotional. We're very attached to our business. We've got to separate the emotional side from the intellectual side. Was it an informed decision that I made, or was it a radical decision that I made? Did I respond to that issue, or did I react to that issue? I think calm yourself. Take a walk. Breathe through it. Uh, Before you make any major decision, take a break. Really percolate on it. And we're a spiritual group. We're we're a faith-based. We believe in Jesus Christ, and, and we pray about it. And we ask God for, for help and guidance. And if we still feel good about it, then we pour gas on it. I think the greatest enemy uh, that we have is our doubts. And if you think about what doubt is, um, doubt is an insecurity. It's something that if we're paying attention to ourselves and listening to ourselves, we can get through our doubts. Um, if we've done our homework, if we've prepared for uh, the issue on how to stay in business, then at some point you just got to say go. If you're 80% ready, go. If you're waiting to be 100% right, you're never going to go anywhere. You're going to be stuck in the minutia of self-doubt, I'm not prepared, blah, blah, blah. I think that in the end, if you're 80% there and your gut's saying do it, do it. Um. He finished his talk with keep your head down, keep moving forward, and never quit. And I think that sums up how do you stay in business. You just keep your head down, keep moving forward, and never, ever quit. Nobody's going to believe in your business more than you. And in here, you, you, you know we all have a dream. But the vision of where we're going is left up to me. Now, I don't do everything in this office. In fact, you'd probably walk in and want to know what does he do. But in the end, the vision needs to be articulated so clearly that at any given moment, any team member can recite it almost verbatim to what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it, and where we're going. And ultimately, you just never quit. So those, to me, sum up how do you stay in business. It's not easy. Business is not easy. And anybody that tells you it was easy is a liar. Um, On the next episode, we're going to talk about making money. Because in the end, while money may not be your greatest motivator, it takes capital to run an organization. It takes capital to hire employees. It takes capital to have a building. It takes capital to invest in that building. Um, And ultimately... You know, after 35 years of being in business, you can look back and go, okay, it kind of worked. And the things that worked in the past can be modified and adjusted, but those fundamentals still are there. So I would say, how do you stay in business? Last.